You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So the reason I had you here early, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I had four different husbands tell me, thank you for saying that. (laughs) Can you say that every week? I said, no, that's, you're the pastor of your home. Come on now, you know, so, um, but here's the thing. The reason I had you here early is because we flipped everything because we're doing worship at the end. And so because we're doing worship at the end, the reason we're doing that is because I want it to be a response to our message today. Um, The series we're in, we started last week, is on the temple. And last week, we started kind of outlining the the temple and what it looks like and gave you some history of the temple. And we won't revisit all of that at all. Um, But last week, we spent some time talking about the the wall of hostility, is what it's called, the, the soreg between the Gentile court and where the Israelites could go and how God broke down that wall in the work of Christ on the cross and now there's no hostility between Jew and Gentile or male or female or black or white. That hostility in Christ has been broken down, has been destroyed. And so this week, I want us to look at a different aspect of the temple and the aspect we're gonna be looking at is the, are the gates. And if you want to, guys, you can throw the picture up of the temple again. And this is not a scale picture, but if you look around the perimeter, you'll see a number of different gates. The, the beautiful gate or the golden gate, the music gate, women's gate, uh, the, the, the sacrifice gate. I mean, there's gates that go all the way around. Now, here's the thing. The city had gates in the walls and the temple had gates as entrance points as well. And this gets super confusing. And this is confusing for me, and I'm the pastor, but it can get super confusing because every time Jerusalem was besieged and the walls were torn down and the walls were rebuilt, the gates would be renamed. And sometimes they'd be renamed by the people because they didn't like the name of the gate. So uh, they, their, they, the gate would be called the cemetery gate. And they'd say, we don't like that. We don't wanna live by the cemetery gate. We're gonna rename it the flower gate. Um, and so they would change the name of gates. So it tends to get a little confusing historically when you're trying to figure out which gate and where and all, all those kind of things. So what I'm not gonna do today is break down all the different gates. You can do that. You can do deep dives on the interwebs if you'd like, but we're not gonna do that today. What I wanna do is give you an overview of what gates are and why they function the way they do. And so what I wanna help you understand today is why gates were important in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even for us today. So gates served two primary functions. The first function was this, a gate would control access. So a gate controlled access to a city or to an area. Um, the, The gate was very important because in the mornings when the sun would come up, the gates would be open to a city. At night when the sun would go down, the gates would be closed. And the reason they did that was because they were controlling access. They didn't want their enemy to get within the city. And so they were controlling access to the city to make sure they could keep the undesirable people out and make sure that the people within the city were safe. Uh, the gate was an important position defensively because uh, the gate was a weak point in the wall. Uh, they would attack, the enemies would attack a gate if a city was besieged because it was a weak po- point. And so there was this understanding that the stronger the gate, the more secure a city would be. So they wanted to make sure their gates were strong because it was an access point. Because if you lost a gate, you'd lose 
functionally your city. The second thing we see is that gates were seats of authority. So we talked about this a little last week, but the, the city gates were a lot of times where people would meet to, to resolve issues, uh, problems. It was places where people would decide civic matters, uh, legal matters. Judges would sit in these seats and talk to people, resolve issues. Uh, if you think back to the book of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, there was a man named Boaz who was serving, wanted to serve as the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And this matter was settled at the city gate. This is where he brought this matter to the elders. And so this is where, from a cultural civic perspective, uh, people in authority would make plans for what they were doing moving forward. They would hatch ideas and they would design schemes and all kinds of things happen at the city gates. So when we think about it in context, I want us to go back to a verse that maybe you know, maybe you're familiar with. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And so his disciples respond and they give him all kinds of different answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and says, you are, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, well done, Peter. Flesh has not re revealed this to you, but, but the Spirit has. And then he says in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this verse was always a little confusing to me because I always kind of wondered, um, hey, gates are defensive in their posture. They're not offensive weapons. So how could gates prevail against me? I never really understood that until I understand this context because a gate is a defensive position, but it's also an offensive position because the gate is the seat of power. The gate is where the enemy will hatch its plans and, and come up with designs and ideas for how to take you down. And I want you to know something. Heaven has a plan for you. God has a plan for you that you can't possibly imagine. You can't even dream about it. It's so big. It's so incredible. But I need you to hear this too. Hell has a plan for you as well. Hell has dreamed about ways to take you down, to undermine you, to, to cause you to forfeit authority and credibility in your life. Hell is out to get you. And at the gates of hell are where these for plans are formed, where they begin to dream about how to take you out, how to undermine you, how, how to cause you to walk away, how to cause you to... Whatever they can do, their plans are being formed and hatched. And here's what scripture says. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now it's easy for us. We talked last week about this idea that we go, well, I'm the church. And, and that is true, you are the church. But we talked about this idea that you are not individually the church. You and I corporately are the church. So we are living stones that are being built into the temple and the dwelling place of God, the spirit of God, that we are the stones being laid on the foundation of the work of the apostles and prophets with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And we are being built together into the house of God. We are the living house of God. That's what we are. This is the church that it's talking about. It says the gates of hell, the schemes of the enemy, the plans that he has to take you out shall not prevail against the church. And we are the church. This is the problem. Many of us, we step away from the church. We get hurt, disappointed. We just, just disengage. 
And then we wonder why the plans of the enemy seem to be succeeding in our lives. And the reason is, is because we're disconnected from the body. We're disconnected from this promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. But I want you to hear this. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. No matter what kind of hell you may be feeling like you're walking through today, I want you to know it will not prevail. No matter what kind of scheme the enemy has formed and and put into action in your life, you might feel like you're neck deep. I want you to know it shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. I'm thankful for that. You should have heard Saturday night service. Those people, they were acting like a bunch of Pentecostals when I read this. They were really excited. The nine o'clock, not as much. I had to like browbeat them a little bit, but you guys, all right, a little better. That's good, that's good. This is exciting. The gates of hell can't prevail over us and what God is doing in and through us. Last week, we mentioned the idea that the temple was built on the spot where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice in Genesis 22. So um, Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, offer your son as a sacrifice, his only son. And he He's being obedient. He goes to do what God's told him to do. And at the last minute, God sends a ram. And this ram by God was a substitution for his son, which is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. This is foreshadowing to what Christ would do on the cross for us. He was a substitution for us being the sacrifice. And so he sends this ram and, and then the Lord responds. It says the angel of the Lord speaks to him in Genesis twenty two fifteen. Listen to what it says. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. So God is reaffirming his covenant with Abraham. He says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall... Um, and, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here's the thing. I will tell you as the, as the pastor, I will highlight the first and last portions of this. The promises that God gave Abraham that your, your offspring shall be as numerous as the stars in the heaven or as numerous as the sand on the beach and that through your offspring, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. So I, I will mention those, but I often leave out the middle part of this. Not intentionally, honestly, just because I haven't paid that much attention to it. But it, what it says is, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now remember what we talked about. The, the gate was an important strategic point in, in any besiegement, uh, besiegement of a city. They would besiege a city and they would attack the gates. And if they could control the gate, functionally they controlled the city. And, and what the promise for Abraham and his descendants are, for his heir, is that you're gonna control the gates of your enemy. Which is this idea that there is no enemy that can overcome us. Now, I wanna go back to last week a little bit. If you missed last week, you really do need to go back and listen. Last week, we talked about this idea that because there's no dividing line, the wall of hostility is gone between Jew and Gentile. Now we are adopted in and we have, we have our heirs to the covenant that God has made with Abraham. So the covenant that God made with Abraham, we, we have access to this covenant. And because of that, we are 
part of this promise. So when he's talking about offspring, he's really talking about two, two different people. Number one, he's talking about Jesus. So he's talking about the offspring of Abraham being Jesus. Jesus um, will bless all the nations of the earth. Through Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we are seeing that. Then he also says that your offspring shall control the gates of his enemy. And we already talked about the gates of hell shall not prevail over the church. But I want you to hear this as well. Jesus has control and dominion over the gates of hell. They are not equals in this battle. Jesus has secured authority over the gates of hell, which is a beautiful thing. But the secondary note is that the schemes of the enemy cannot overcome you as an heir of Abraham. Because we are his offspring, we have access to the authority of God. So when you feel overwhelmed and defeated, when you feel like giving up, I want you to know God is not through with you. The enemy has not won until you have quit. So keep going. See, to control the gates of one's enemy was to conquer the city. And this is part of the blessing that Abraham received from God. This is part of our blessing as well. The, the one gate I am gonna spend a minute talking about today is the East Gate. The East Gate was a prominent gate from a biblical perspective, but it was not a prominent gate as far as its activity because of where it was located geographically. Uh, it was not a high access gate. Uh, because it faced the, the Mount of Olives, there was not a lot of people coming that way into the city. So because of that, um, the other, some of the other gates had a, a lot more traffic. The East Gate is important. We mentioned this last week because it's the gate that Jesus came through on a donkey on uh, Palm Sunday. So he came through his triumphal entry a week before his, his crucifixion. He comes in and he is hailed, Hosanna, Hosanna, this big moment. This is an important moment in, in Jesus's life. And this is the gate he came through. This is also historically, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, um, what we see is when on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, when the high priest would offer a sacrifice, what they would do is ceremonially and symbolically, they would take the sins um, and they would put it on what they called the scapegoat. And they would release this goat into the wilderness. And it was symbolic because what they were saying is in the same way that this goat would run away, this was symbolic of God carrying our sins away from us. And they would release this goat and it would go out the east gate and it would go... Uh, presumably to the Mount of Olives. It would go live its life. And this is important symbolically for a number of different reasons. So let me, let me just boil it down to this. In around 600 BC, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 44 that the east gate would be sealed shut. It would be closed and no one could enter or come out. Uh, the only one that could was the prince and he was talking about Jesus. So because of this prophecy, as the city was besieged, taken over, destroyed throughout the generations, um, when, when, when Muslims would take over Jerusalem, they would seal the East Gate up if it was there. The Ottomans in the 1500s actually rebuilt the walls, rebuilt the Eastern Gate 
and sealed it up. So they rebuilt it and sealed it up because they felt they knew this prophecy and they wanted to make it as challenging as possible for the Jewish Messiah to arrive on the scene, that he would come through these east gates. And because of that, it's been sealed up. So this gate is sealed even to this day. If you go to Jerusalem, you can go to the east gate, you can see it's sealed up. Now, the interesting thing to me about this is we've already talked about this idea that Jesus has conquered the gates of hell, that he has authority over it, that there is no gate he cannot conquer, um, that, that bricks and mortar are not gonna keep him out, are not gonna prevent him from moving forward, but yet this is the idea that this east gate being sealed would prevent Jesus from doing what he wants to do. And the interesting thing about this is in, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his followers and he gives them, he, he always tells stories to help them understand. And so he's telling them this story and he says, hey, let me tell you this story. If, if somebody comes over the sheepfold, but they don't come through the gate, they're a thief and a robber. Don't trust them. But the shepherd is gonna come through the gate and the shepherd is gonna speak to the sheep. The sheep are gonna hear his voice and they know the shepherd, they trust the shepherd, but they don't trust the thief and the robber. Got it? And there's just blank stares, like, uh, are you telling us to buy sheep? Are we supposed to become shepherds? I don't, well, no, we don't got it. We don't understand. This is kind of what happened. And so in verse six, it says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Aren't you grateful for that? You're like, okay, I'm a dummy sometimes. I need some help. They were too. Verse seven, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will go find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other translations, it'll say to get, give them life and life abundantly. And so what Jesus is saying here is, remember what the gate is. The gate is about access. Who are you letting in and who are you letting out? And what Jesus is saying is, hey, you want access? If you're the sheep and you want access to protection and provision, you want access to those things, I am the gate for that. So does Jesus, not only does Jesus say, I have conquered the gates, but now Jesus is saying, no, I am the gate. I am the gate. I am the, the access. I am the seat of power. I am the seat of authority. I am where you will find protection and provision. I am the one who gives you access, not to just to those things, but also to the Father. If you want access to the Father, I am it. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus tells them, because he says, he says, guys, listen, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you and I'm gonna take care of you. And he's talking about when he is gone and the Holy Spirit comes and one of his disciples go, he says, and you know the way? And they go, I, we don't know the way. We don't, can you print that for us? Can you send it, text us the directions? Because we have no idea. And Jesus goes, guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we live in a world that says, if you just are sincere enough and just believe enough and you're just nice enough, then it's good. All roads lead to heaven. And People like Oprah Winfrey will say they're a Christian and then they will spout beliefs like that. And, and it is counter to what scripture says. What Jesus says is, no, no, there is a way. That way is me. I am the gate. I am the way. That is it. 
We have to understand this idea. Gates were important for access and they were important because they were seats of power. And Jesus is our access. He is the seat of power. In the new Jerusalem, after heaven and earth are gone, there's gonna be a new heaven and new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth is a city called Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And it'll be surrounded by walls with 12 gates, three gates on each side. And they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And Ezekiel chapter 48 describes this, but also Revelation 21 does as well. Let me read a portion of Revelation 21. It says this, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was of pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun and moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. I could spend a lot of time talking about this. I just wanna point out a couple of things. In this new Jerusalem, there will be gates, 12 of them. And these gates... They're called the pearly gates. You may, maybe have heard that growing up. I did. I, we heard a lot about the pearly gates and the streets of gold. And in fact, for me, when I thought about heaven, I just thought we were gonna be rich because we weren't poor when I was growing up, but we definitely were not rich. We did not have means. And so we would talk about heaven and the preacher would talk about the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the mansions. You remember the song? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Does anybody four old people here, me and them. We would sing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. We would sing this song and I am telling you, I would get pumped because I'm like, we're going to be rich someday, right? It's going to be awesome. We're going to go to heaven and be rich. And I remember when I was a little kid, I asked my mom, I said, mom, am I going to live in like, am I going to have a big room in our mansion in heaven? Like what, what, what am I, what am I expecting here? What should I be expecting and my mom said something to the effect of, well, I think you'll have your own mansion. And I was partly terrified that I wouldn't live with my mom and dad and then partly excited, like, I'm gonna have my own mansion. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And here's the thing. It's so easy to think about heaven in terms of what we will get from it. But what I want you to do for a second is hit the pause button. And I want you to think about something very fundamental. The, the streets of gold, Okay. And think about it in this term. Think about the way we value gold. In our culture, you can follow the price of gold and how it's traded actively. Um, you can see how much an ounce is worth at any time. And some of you live and die with this because you are heavily invested in gold. And, and so when gold is worth more, you are good. And when gold price goes down, you are bad because your value is derived from its value, okay? It's about your future, it's about your security, all these kind of things. But think about heaven. Heaven uses gold for pavement. It is asphalt in heaven. We value gold supremely. Heaven says, we'll pave the ground with that. There's something to be said for this. We need to understand that heaven values things differently than we do. And maybe we shouldn't ask heaven to change the way it values things, but maybe we need to shift our valuation of things in this world a little bit 
And I'm not saying go sell all your gold. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying though is we need to shift our priorities and our values a little bit. Because the value of heaven is not gonna be the big house or the pearly gate or the streets of gold. The value of heaven is going to be the manifest tangible presence of God everywhere. We're not gonna need a temple or a church to go to in heaven because God's presence is everywhere. In fact, remember what I said, that the gates were closed at night when it would get dark to prevent enemies from sneaking in. There is no night in heaven. There is no shadow in heaven. Do you know why? Because the glory of God emanates everywhere. Think about your best moment in church. The best moment where you felt the closest to God. That times a thousand is what we will have all the time in heaven because God's tangible physical presence will be with us all the time. His glory will shine everywhere. Because of that, there is no night. Because there is no night, the gates will never close. And this is another thing I want you to hear. No matter who you are, no matter how far you've run from God, no matter how evil you think you've been, I want you to know our God is a redeeming God. And the fact that the gates, the pearly gates are never closed in heaven should tell you something because heaven is waiting for you. The gates are open. Jesus is welcoming you saying, you have not run too far. You have not outsend my grace and my blood. I have forgiveness for you. There is a place for you. And I am telling you today, the gates of heaven are providing access for you if you'll simply submit and trust God. So, so let me share one more passage with you. This is Psalm chapter 100. Psalm chapter 100, Jewish tradition tells us that Moses wrote Psalm 90 through 100. And so Psalm 100 reads like this. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. And the word shout here is a Hebrew word ruah. And it's a battle cry. Shout to the Lord with joy all the earth. Shout to the Lord. Thank you. Man, you guys are all caffeinated. You're here. Oh, you make me happy. <laughs> Ruah, we shout to the Lord. It's a battle cry. Now think about some of the movies you watched. Um, the other night I was watching, re-watching for I don't know how many times. Um, I, I re-watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I was on Return of the King. And it's at the very end of the movie where Sam and Frodo are, are trying to get to Mount Doom and you've got uh, the armies of Mordor. They're they're flooding out of the black gates to face off against the armies of men, this, this, last, this last remnant of men. And, and they're led by their king, Aragorn. And he's there, they're facing off hopeless odds. And, and, and the, the shot, the camera shot is from behind. So I'll, in this scene, I'll play Aragorn, the king, okay? So, <laughs> so the shot is behind him and he turns and they're facing hopeless odds. And he turns and goes, for Frodo. And then they take off, okay? They, they all start running at the enemy and they don't do it silently, that would be awkward. <laughs> they are yelling, ah! and they are charging at the enemy with their swords drawn, ready for battle. And you've got them running to battle and you've got the little hobbits with their tiny hobbit legs, and they're running. And they are charging at the enemy and they've got hopeless odds. And there's something powerful about this that, that Moses says, hey, you know what? We have a battle cry. When we are facing hopeless odds, we don't go, well, I probably aren't gonna make it through this. <laughs> that would have made a terrible end to Lord of the Rings, by the way, right? 
No. You muster a battle cry from deep within your soul because I want you to hear, the enemy doesn't know what you're thinking. He knows what you are saying. The enemy can't hear what you're thinking. You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel a little hopeless, but there's something in us that goes, no, my God owns the gates. There is no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. So the enemy can come at me with every scheme he's got and it might seem overwhelming, but I'm gonna run into battle with a ruah. (laughs) You guys are clapping now. You're clapping now. We're about to go back into worship. Be careful what you're clapping for. And I'm telling you today, the enemy is frightened when they hear this. If you look at the Civil War, they had something called the Rebel Yell. And the Rebel Yell was intimidating to to the, the soldiers of the Union. When they would hear the Confederates yelling like crazy people, it was intimidating. And there's something about us summoning this rebel yell within us against the enemy of our souls that will intimidate him. And it's not because of us, it's because of the God working in and through us. Psalm 100 verse two, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him singing with joy, worship the Lord with gladness. We're not forced to against our will. We do it with gladness. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. What if that's really how we felt? Man, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to be with my brothers and sisters. I can't wait to hear the word. I can't wait to worship God. And the second part of that says, come before him with singing. The English Standard Version says, come into his presence with singing. I want you to hear this. Come into his presence with singing. It doesn't say, come into his presence, stone-faced with your hands in your pocket. And you'll say to me, preacher, you don't even know, you don't know what's going on in my heart. I'm worshiping in my heart. That's fantastic. You should tell your face. <laughs> your face has no idea that your heart is worshiping right now, right? <laughs> we come into his presence with, with singing. We, we open our mouths and we sing songs to our God. When my girls were little, I would sing to them. It's not because I'm a great singer, but I would sing a song over my girls. I was willing to do it because they weren't gonna judge my singing. They do now, but they didn't when they were younger. (laughs) Here's the thing, God's not gonna judge your singing. God doesn't care how good you are, how quality you are. None of that stuff matters because what's coming out of our mouth is a reflection of what's going on in our heart. And some of you, I'm just not a singer. I don't wanna sing. I don't wanna embarrass myself. Well, then... You're coming about this in the wrong way. Well, I'm, and I, I'm speaking to guys mostly, if I'm gonna be honest. Well, my, my, I don't want my wife to hear me singing. That's weird. <laughs> guys, can I help you with something? If some of you would start singing during worship, it would melt the heart of your wife. Because what she wants more than anything is a husband that will worship God. That would be the biggest answer to prayers that you could ever give your wife is for you to worship God with your voice. We're not having auditions here. 
This isn't a talent show. This is us saying, God, I'm willing to worship you, not because I'm having a great day or because I feel like it, but because you deserve every bit of glory that I can give you. So God, I'm gonna embarrass myself a little bit and sing. I'm gonna open my mouth and sing praises to you because your word says, come into his presence with singing. Verse three, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We don't belong to ourselves, we belong to God. And if God is telling us to sing, we should sing. If God is telling me to raise my hands and worship, I should raise my hands and worship. I shouldn't be concerned about what does somebody else think. I should be concerned about what does God think? Is God pleased with my worship today or not? Because I don't care if my wife likes my singing or not. If God wants me to sing, I better sing. I'm not concerned with, do I look funny raising my hands? Because if God is asking me to raise my hands in worship, I'm gonna raise my hands. Because I don't care what you think about my worship. I care what God thinks about my worship. He's the one who made us. We are his. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The word for thanksgiving here in the, in the Hebrew, it's todah. Todah. <laughs> that's what it feels like. I don't feel like worshiping. Todah. That's what, that's what I'm imagining. And God's like, oh, like, you know. Now, theologically, God isn't surprised, okay? But I'm just saying that's the image I get in my brain. And this word literally means a thanks offering. Enter his gates with a thanks offering. Think about the, the, think about the diagram of the temple again. The gates were the outermost part. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So enter his gates with a thanks offering where I go, God, I don't feel like worshiping you today. I'm having a bad day. Things aren't going well. Um, you haven't been answering my prayers the way I'd like you to, but I'm gonna offer you a thanks. I'm gonna give you a sacrifice of thanks because of all the things I don't have, there are some things I do have. So God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for a wife that you've given me who loves me. Thank you for a church. Thank you for a job. Thank you for breath in my lungs. So God, I'm gonna focus on what you have done for me and I'm gonna take my eyes off of what you haven't. And it's amazing how that begins to prepare our hearts for actual worship when we give them a, a thanks offering in spite of how we feel before we ever get in the building. In his gates, I'm gonna offer thanksgiving. And then it says, enter his courts with praise. And this word praise here, it's um, tequila, which is not what you're thinking. It's not tequila. Some of you are like, yeah, I like this church. Nope, 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 nope. And this is reemphasizing this praise. It's praise that is spoken out loud with our mouths. I enter his courts with praise. This is what it's implying. I'm not gonna wait to get into the presence of God and ask God to stir me up and get me ready. I'm not gonna wait till I get into church and the music starts and I go, well, they better sing the song I like because if they don't sing the song I like, I'm not gonna worship. Well, if, if, they, if they have that one singer singing, well, if Mel's not funny today, I'm not gonna get, I'm just not. I'm, he's, that's what we do. And then we walk out of a service and go, well, I didn't feel the presence of God at all. No, you didn't. But it doesn't mean that God's presence wasn't here. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. It's not, it's not Todd's responsibility to goose you into worship, like to just get you feeling good. And you're like, okay, fine, I can worship now. No, that's immature. 
Maturity says, hey, I'm gonna enter his gates with thanksgiving before I even drive in the parking lot. God, I'm gonna start thanking you for what you've done in my life because there's a lot of stuff I lack, but man, there's so much I have. So God, I'm gonna focus on the right thing so I can worship you the way you deserve. And I'm gonna enter the courts before I even get in the auditorium. I'm gonna begin to worship you, God. I'm gonna give you a praise because you are worthy. I'm not gonna wait for somebody else to stir me up. I'm not gonna wait for somebody else to get me ready. I'm gonna worship you because you are worthy of every praise. So God, I worship you today. If there was no music and no lyrics on the screen and no worship leader, I don't need any of that. I can worship you without it because you are worthy. We don't do that. Well, I just didn't like how loud it was today. I didn't like how quiet it was today. I didn't like, we will criticize and criticize and criticize and then we wonder why we didn't feel the presence of God. Do you know one of the things I love? Our nights of worship are powerful. Do you, do you know why more people didn't respond to that? Because more people don't come to our nights of worship. We'll have a couple hundred people show up to nights of worship. And man, it is powerful when we do a waiting room. It is awesome to see what God is doing. And, and God is moving in those environments. God is moving when we have a she is or one of our women's nights and women come together and they worship God. Man, you can feel the presence of God. And the difference between those things and a normal weekend service for us is expectancy. Because people show up to those things and they're like, I'm meeting God today. And many times we come to church going, can we get, yeah, we can go, let's go. Uh, we can make it, let's go. We rush in, we sit down and we criticize and whatever. And then we go to lunch and we just do our thing and it's just part of our routine. And we wonder why we didn't feel the presence of God. It's because you didn't enter his gates with thanksgiving. You didn't come into the courts with praise. It was about you being entertained or you being fulfilled or you getting what you wanted instead of saying, God, I'm bringing you something today. That's what this is about. We come with expectancy. God, you're gonna move today. I'm gonna praise you whether I feel it or not. I'm gonna praise you whether I'm fighting with my wife on the way to church or not. I'm gonna praise you whether you answer my prayers or not. My praise is not dependent on you doing what I want you to do. Why do we do that? The answer is in verse five. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. The Lord is good. God, I worship you because you're good. I worship you because you are worthy of praise. Not because I feel like it, not because I'm having a good day. I'm gonna enter the gates Courts, uh, gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. I'm gonna have a sense of expectancy. Richard Foster wrote a number of different books on discipleship, and I would encourage you, there's a, oh man, he's incredible. One of the things he said was this, as worship begins in holy expectancy, so we come in with expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate, an escape from the passing needs of modern life. If we're not careful, we come to church, we're like, well, I'm having a bad day. I just need a little bit of worship to pick me up, just make me feel better. And that's okay. That's okay. There's value in that. But if that's all it is, we're in trouble. See, see, we have to come in with a sense of expectancy. I'm gonna meet with God. I'm, I'm gonna experience God today somehow. 
And, and no matter what I feel, I'm gonna worship you, God. So I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna worship you. And then when I go out at the end of this worship, I'm gonna be obedient to whatever it is you ask me to do. That is an act of worship. Obedience is an act of worship, by the way. So God, I'm gonna be obedient. And that's what prevents this moment from just being a pick-me-up. Oh, I'm a little down. I just need something to get me through the week. No, we should not be functioning like that. Every single day, we should be worshiping God and saying, God, I expect to meet with you today. I expect to see you today. I'm gonna enter your gates with thanksgiving into your courts with praise. Right now, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out your time and they're gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys. You have an awesome day. I told you earlier that Jesus is Lord over every gate. And, and I'm not gonna contradict myself, but I do wanna share one verse with you. This is Revelation 3.20. It says this, Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. The one gate Jesus won't kick in is the gate to your heart. Jesus is a gentleman and he will stand and he will knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. He will persist after you because he loves you. The question is, will you hear his voice and respond to his knocking on the door of your heart and say, yes, let him in. He wants to come in, eat a meal with you. I love the fact that Jesus said that. I wanna eat some food with you. I wanna be your friend. That's what Jesus wants. So the question is, how are you responding to the knocking door in your heart? Are you opening and responding and letting him in? Because that's what he wants. Some of you, you've been running from God for so long. He's been chasing after you. He's been knocking on your door and you've been ignoring it. You, you've been covering up your ears. You've been doing everything you can to avoid this. And I'm telling you today, today is your day. Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking at the door of your heart. And he's asking, can I come in? Can we be friends? I want you to know me and I want to know you. So would you say yes today? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Lord, thank you for who you are, what you do. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've withheld worship because of my own misperceptions about you and who you are and what you're doing. God, I pray today none of us that call ourselves Christians with withhold, would withhold any worship from you that we have in our bodies. Every bit of it would be poured out on you today because you're worthy. You deserve it. God, I pray for those that are here today that know that, that Jesus is knocking on the door of their hearts. I pray today they would open that door and say yes, that you would come in and establish relationship and friendship with them. I pray that we would never be the same. So God, have your way with us. Now, nobody's looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here and you say, Mel, what you described as me, God's, Jesus has been knocking on the door of my heart for a while. I know it. And today I wanna say yes. I wanna surrender. I wanna invite him into my heart and life. I wanna, I wanna know him. I wanna him to know me. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put your hand right back down. Yeah, thanks up in the balcony. Yeah, two, three, four, five hands up in the balcony on my left. Yeah, in the center section, thank you. Yeah, I see you up there in the balcony center. Yeah, thank you on my right, a couple hands. Praise God, praise God. Yeah, on my left, thank you, sir. Yeah, I see you up there on my left, thank you. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Who else, a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. 
Yeah, thank you. I see you, ma'am. Praise God. Yeah, thank you in the center section. Praise the Lord. Thanks, sir. I see you on my right. Thank you. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer to get today. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this isn't my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. So I want you to pray this today from your heart to, to God's ears. He's gonna receive it from you today. So pray this with me, everybody in the place. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from now on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, come on. Listen, do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, okay? So we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So can't do it alone, it's hard. We are being built together into the dwelling place of God. So help us help you. If you responded today, take one minute and fill out the card in the seat back in front of you uh, and take it to our next step table. It's out in the lobby by the main doors when we finish here in a minute. Or you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and do that virtually that way. But even if you do that, we'd still love for you to stop by. Somebody from our team's gonna be there. We'd love to answer questions and help you figure out what does a walk with Jesus look like? So help us help you in that. Here's what's gonna happen right now. We're gonna take some time and worship together. Um, and... I wanna encourage you. I don't know what you brought in this place. I don't know what's going on in your life, but here's what I know. The presence of God is here right now. And we don't have to talk him into being here. He's here. What you have to do is say, God, open up my eyes so I can see you here. Make me aware of your presence today. And then stir yourself up and be disciplined enough, be mature enough in your faith that you can say, I'm gonna worship and it's not dependent on how I feel. It's not dependent on what's going on in my life. I'm gonna worship because God is worthy of all my praise. While we're singing these, this last little bit, our team is gonna be here and available. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. If you've got a need of any kind, this is the time. Let us come, uh, come let us pray with you and believe with you and see what God will do. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together before we go today. Guys, I love you more than I can possibly tell you. And I am so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome day. Let's worship together. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.